0: That's why I say it was so important and so necessary for me that I had those therapists in the beginning because I don't know where I would have been if I didn't.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to Tales from the Journey. I'm Stephanie Zamora and today I am here with Josh Odom and I'm so excited to have him here. He is the founder and curator of Healing While Black. And that is an online platform devoted to normalizing conversations around mental health for black, queer, trans, and gender nonconforming people. And Josh has an incredible story of his own, which I know is gonna really inspire many of you out there. So Josh, thank you so much for being here.
0: Thank you for having
1: me. Yeah, I would love to start with you sharing just a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do.
0: Yeah, yeah, so again, thank you so much for the introduction. Uh, My name is Josh, pronouns are he, him, and his. Uh, the founder and curator of Healing While Black LLC. It is, again, as you said, an online platform dedicated to the mental health and wellness of Black, queer, trans, and non-conforming people. I am a trauma-informed social justice life coach. I work a lot with Black men of all experiences working to engage critically with our masculinities. I am a diversity, equity, and inclusion professional. I am a avid reader. Shout out to Bearded Black Men Read, shout out to the fam over there. And yeah, I I do a lot of work that centers Black folks just being able to access healing in all different modalities.
1: Yeah, your work is incredible. I think I found, I might've found you on Clubhouse (laughs) when I first found you, yeah. I, I haven't really been able to get into that platform myself yet, but there's so many incredible conversations happening over there, and I'm so grateful that it's introduced me to such a wide variety of people doing different work. And I love your work and I love your story because it's so essential and important. And I've heard you talk on other v- interviews about really being the person that you needed when you were younger and how that's something that has driven a lot of the work that you're doing. And so I would love to go back kind of to the beginning of your story, which started in eighth grade, I believe it was with your own coming out. And if you could share just a bit more about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I always tell this, I told the story, um, on, uh, cat's podcast black men cry too shout out to cat that i was i was outed instead of coming out i told a friend who i thought i could trust that i was bisexual and you know within a couple of days that was school-wide news and then there were all these different types of you know we're going to beat you up we're going to kill you you all types of three and four letter words that were not good for anybody to hear especially not a 13 year old black kid who was still trying to reconcile his sexuality that's where it started i know that, that also had a role to play in my mental health deteriorating and i know that as i was going through my journey to seek out a a, a professional to help with me i also came to understand that my mental health was, was was inextricably linked to the queer antagonism and the anti-blackness that i receive on a daily basis so knowing that it started there, but also being able to provide context and provide language to what I was experiencing back then has helped me, uh, as you said, like really be the person that I needed when I was younger.
1: Yeah. Did you at that time have any support systems around really like understanding your own sexuality as well as making sense of the world when such a traumatic experience happened as a result of sharing it for the first time?
0: Yeah, yeah. I I had a lot of supports. First, being family. Second of all, a friend of mine introduced me to an organization that I would end up working for. It was um, called Pride for Youth, which was a part of the Long Island Crisis Center. And it was a it's a it was a drop in space for queer, trans, nonconforming, questioning youth between the ages of like 14 to 20. And that's where I found out a lot about my own self. That's where I had a comprehensive, not only sex, but sexuality education about safe sex, about condom usage, about STIs, about protecting yourself and also ensuring that you have an understanding of how to engage with a partner or even with yourself with consent.
1: Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. And I know. 2016 you mentioned in another interview as part of your journey was a big tipping point for you. Yeah. And on this show, we talk a lot about rock bottom moments, dark night of the soul. But before we talk about that moment in time for you, fill in the gaps from eighth grade to 2016, what did your life look like and how did you end up there?
0: Yeah. So um I, I tell everybody, you know, like I had, a very fortunate childhood my both of my parents were providers they nurtured they did the best that they could and they that was a lot they, that was a hell of a lot so I, sometimes I, I tell this story i think a lot of folks are waiting to hear like these really traumatic instances and of course like, there's trauma involved in the story but that's not just trauma like really getting out this idea that like you know black folks we have We have joy in our lives too, right? Like our totality of our existence is not just trauma and adverse childhood experiences. So there were a lot of things that sucked, but there were a lot of things that were amazing. Both my parents, actually my my, my dad, my stepmom and my mom were very active and involved in my life and wanted to nurture me as a whole being and as a person. So I was really involved for as long as I can remember in high school, I stopped playing football and did Youth for Political Awareness. I did debate. I did theater. At that point in time, I was really set on going to law school and doing that whole route. So I was really, really involved in anything political, anything history related, anything oratory related. Did the whole, you know, did APs, you know, did the National Honor Society thing. Just did what I was supposed to do in school, was active, you know, just what you would expect from someone who was just given a lot and given like a really solid foundation. Translated that to college in which I just hit the ground running. And Actually, before college, I had a senior internship with the Nassau County Legislature. I was was working under a legislator, excuse me. And then my summer internship, the summer after I graduated, I was working in Harlem with an organization called Harlem Mother Save, save being an acronym for Stop Another Violent End that was dedicated to eradicating gun violence in, in New York City. And that's where I really got a taste of like what like grassroots activism looked like in that sense, because it was there I was able to meet David Dinkins and it was in my senior internship where I was able to meet Nancy Pelosi. So just really having these experiences as a 17 year old, and 18 year old going into high school or going into college, it definitely solidified my want to be active in my community. So that translated um, into college where I was joining all these different organizations, Student Bridges. I joined student government, ran for office my freshman year. And then my sophomore year was really pivotal because that summer I was working along with my friends with the United States Student Association and we were in California during our Congress. And it was there when we found out Michael Brown was killed. And then that, that, that was going into my sophomore year of college. And it was immediate action. There were rallies happening every week. There were hate crimes, anti-Black, anti-Semitic, anti-Latinx hate crimes happening every other week. We were organizing, rallying, protesting, organizing, rallying, protesting, and just going through a lot and being put on this kind of a pedestal as like this singular charismatic Black male leader, a role that I really didn't want. But of course, I didn't really know how to set boundary at the time, I didn't know it was what. I just felt that I had to do this before I would be letting my friends down or letting the movement down, so to speak. It was a lot. And people would always say, you know, Josh, you gotta slow down. This is, this is a marathon and not a sprint. And just realizing that I did not take their advice. And it led to a real point where I just had to sit down for a while. I was running for a long time dealing with very stressful, traumatic instances personally and collectively and politically. And I wasn't taking care of myself. And so 2016 was the point in which I, it finally caught up to me and I was very depressed. I was, I now know I was, I was depressed, didn't know if I was going to graduate, just stopped going to class because I just did not, I was burned out in, the, in, in more ways than one. And I just really did not see the meaning in a lot of different things, definitely got to a point where I was moving away from passive suicidal ideations to active suicidal ideations. And with the help of an amazing therapist and a great support system, I was able to go and get to the other side of that. But the the that time was not without it. its hardships. And as you mentioned, it was very, it was scary. It was very scary at the time because you, you look at everything that is going on around you and you're trying to be this person for everybody. But meanwhile, you still cannot provide any kind of solace for yourself. So that was a really, that was a really, uh, formative time in my life because it not only taught me the necessity of boundaries, but also said that, you know, this is not if you think you're going to be able to outrun these things, you're lying to yourself. Like, this will this will catch up to you sooner rather than later, and it will catch you um, at the most inopportune time.
1: Absolutely. Was there a single moment or was there a series of moments that allowed you to really see I'm not okay?
0: Yeah, it was a social withdrawal, just a leaning into coping mechanisms that I knew were maladaptive, and just a general concern from the folks around me. Like, folks saying like, you don't look like you used to, not even just aesthetically uh, pleasing, because even though like my, my outwardly appearance had changed, but just like, you just feel like you just don't seem like your normal self, like something seems off around you, like what's happening.
1: Yeah. I know for a lot of people, I feel like especially men, there's no healthy relationship to the idea of mental health and that it's okay to get support when you need it. What was your relationship to that and what led you to actually seek out a therapist?
0: So my relationship was complex because I do have a a history of just going to seek out therapists in regards to being, it was reactionary, it was not proactive. So it wasn't my first time, but it was always something that a major shift happened in my life, which prompted this one to go seek out a therapist. But then also realizing that I had a a number of mentors and colleagues who I I looked up to and really sought counsel from who who pushed me, who, who were just consistently advocating for me to go speak to somebody and not holding this in. And that was a really big thing when I found out that my Elders were going to therapy as well. That was like, all right. If you go in here, like it can't be all that bad.
1: Yeah, definitely. Did you like your first therapist? I feel like this is an important thing whenever we talk about therapy and support and mentorship. Like finding the right person is so essential. I know for me, it wasn't until I had been to different therapists throughout my life, but it wasn't until I was older that I was able to articulate this is what I need, this is what I'm looking for. And then I was able to find a therapist that I felt really safe with and supported by? Did you like your first therapist? I did.
0: I I definitely did. My first therapist that I went to consistently was Black woman on campus, and she was very instrumental. She wanted to make sure that all of the student activists, all of the change agents, she wanted to make sure that we got the help that we needed. So I truly adored uh, my first therapist.
1: Awesome. And after you started therapy, how long were you in it? What What was going on in your life as well? I know you said that you stopped going to school. Did you get back into school?
0: Yeah, I got back into school. It was one of those things where it's like, thankfully, I made the intervention at the right time because I was only like two months off of my, my expected graduation date. But I know had I not intervened, had folks not had folks not done what they did, in the immediacy, I definitely would have, that would have been longer. So it was not a, a long drop off. Not at all. I still gra- I graduated like at 3.3, 3.4. Not that bad. Um, <laughs> it, it, was, it wasn't a long drop off. It was not something that was not salvageable. And also I started my graduate program right after undergrad. So it was one of those things that I was still immersed in academia. So I know if I went home, then they probably would not have gotten done. But I was still in the same environment. I was still around my friends. I still had my support system. And actually, I started my graduate program before I finished my undergraduate degree. I was on a conditional acceptance. I was able to start my coursework, but it was like, hey, you need to finish this before you go any further. So I had like a semester, like half a semester to get all this stuff done. So that was the biggest piece of accountability to know that I, ha- I still had these structures around me. And just, you know, my brother and my sister, you know, they were getting older. They were finishing up uh, school as well. I really wanted to go home. I really wanted to be closer to my family. Um, I went to school in Massachusetts. My parent, all my family was in New York and I didn't have a car until I got to graduate school. So I was not going home as often as I would have liked. So it was just a lot of things that were beginning to weigh on me. Just Wanting to get closer, wanting to be closer to family. I had a friend who passed that was really, really hard. And just one of those things was like, you know, these are things that happened in adulthood. But those, those first moments are really, really difficult because you've never experienced anything like this before. So that's why I say it was so important and so necessary for me that I had those therapists in the beginning because I don't know where I would have been if I didn't.
1: We talk a lot on this show about the idea of reorienting and what was that process like for you? I know you talked before about not having boundaries and really pushing yourself and taking on a lot. What was it like for you to set new boundaries and develop more mental health and self-care practices while still going after your degree and doing activism and everything else in your life?
0: actually this was a piece of information that i received from my most recent therapist it was on the topic of transactional living and for a long time knowing that i felt like i had to labor just to get certain things like support and softness and care and all these different things and i'll never forget what she said she said you deserve nice things because you're you because you exist it's not because of the things you do It's not because of the work that you do and of course you do good work you work hard so you're going to attract more you're going to have more but even if you didn't that still doesn't negate the fact that you deserve care because that reorienting process looked like that i didn't have the language of transactional living then but i know now that i was beginning to shed a lot of those pieces of my identity that revolved around me being everybody being everything to everybody and not having boundaries and taking on these projects and, this thing and that thing for the sake of wanting to get a, you know, a good job or wanting to, to be validated or, or all of the things that, that, that are not self affirming and self validating. And once those lessons started to sink in, really asked myself, Yo, what am I doing this for? Like, I don't like what I'm doing. Not to say that the things that I'm doing are, are not great things, but like, you're not happy doing them. So why are you doing them? and it was really cool um it's still really cool you know because a lot of these things go in ebbs and flows and we we take lessons when we take them but it was really cool to just see I didn't have to do this I'm like, like no nah, I'm cool I don't want to do that I don't want to sit on that panel I don't want to you know contribute to this project I'm cool and I don't have to give you a reason you know except that I don't want to
1: yeah was there anything new that you incorporated into your life
0: Yeah, journaling. Journaling was a big, big corporating factor. Journaling was definitely very helpful, and just reading. As you can see from the background, I read a lot. I'm just getting back to reading as a self care practice, and not for school. A lot of my friends, and maybe you can attest to this too. A lot of my friends we used to love reading, but when we got to school, when we got to graduate school, like we just it became a chore. It became a thing that we had to do. And so I wanted to do more reading for my own pleasure outside of your school.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I I went to school for design and it actually ruined just raw creativity for me. (laughs) I had to work on reclaiming that, just making things to make them and not to sell something or position something. It was a practice for me. So you have Healing While Black. At what point did that become a seed in your mind and what did it look like to move towards it?
0: Yeah, so Healing My Black started under a different name in 2016. That was when all of the the stressors were weighing on me, and it was actually a product of time in my life. I was a part of a two-year intensive for for Black collegiate men called the Institute for Responsible Citizenship, and we were in DC. The summer 2015, Donald Trump announced his presidency. The Freddie Gray was killed. Sandra Blaine was killed, and the Charleston massacre transpired. The twenty summer 2016, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile were killed, and the Pulse Nightclub massacre took place. So it wasn't a great time to be black and queer in any of those summers. And I'll never forget it. The DC chapters of the Black Youth Project and Black Lives Matter held a Black Joy Festival in Malcolm X Park. And me, my boys, Aziz, Justin and Horacio went to the park and we just sat in like black joy, like black girls, uh, little black children playing double dutch, playing hopscotch, and just seeing black folks just be joyful and being able to just rest and be carefree and venerate ancestors. And that's where the spark came in originally there. That's when I started my page, when I got back to Massachusetts for my senior year. Eventually it grew. In scope, in audience size, in what I was focusing on, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I, did, I was looking at different pages to see what I wanted to do to try to find my own voice. And then toward the spring of 2019, my page was just randomly deactivated for some reason. And I said, when I got it back, I want this page to be a reflection of the personal shift that I'm making because it was then and there that I said, I, I don't I don't want to do labor studies. That was the graduate program that I was in. I don't wanna do this. I want to do something in line of mental health. I don't know if it's gonna be psychiatry, psychology, whatever it is. I just want that to be a reflection of what I'm doing personally. And I, I don't even know where the term Healing While Black came from, but it just fit. And so I just said, like, hey, look, the page is called Healing While Black now. We're gonna be focusing on black mental health, black queer mental health, and we're gonna go from there. And then I was actually meet, able to meet Dr. LaDonna Butler, who is the lead executive of the Wealth for Life, who holds the Healing While Black Summit in St. Petersburg, Florida. And so shout out to Dr. Butler. And it was just amazing to meet all of these dope practitioners, these black practitioners who have a real liberatory framework to their practice and to be in community with them, to to connect with them and to build with them and to share resources and to learn more about my practice was just amazing. So it's been a really cool journey to see where it started as to where we're at now. And like the reach and the influence is still a little bit mind boggling, but, you know, we give thanks.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. And it sounds like it was very organic and really kind of followed everything that you were going through and, and how you wanted to show up and express.
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely definitely was
1: and how did it relate to you know i know you've mentioned i've seen you mention in different places that you made a choice not to go into psychology and become a therapist what was your kind of relationship or experience around that and what led you into life coaching versus therapy or psychology
0: so eventually I, i landed on social work right and then and actually before the pandemic took hold, I was in school for for social work and I do intend on getting my degree and getting licensed and all of those different things. I landed on social work because I had a lot of conversations with my friends and, and colleagues and, and mentors who were in all different avenues and fields, psychiatry, psychology, licensed professional coaching, and, and social work was the place that felt most natural for me because a social worker has to do so many things. Now, I'm not a social worker, but that's why I, I landed on social work as a field to move into. And I, I, was actually had a, I had a series of conversations this past summer when everything was at a fever pitch, when folks are out, first, first of all, folks are still out in the street, in the street to this day, if folks didn't know. But this was very, very shortly after Breonna Taylor was killed and George Floyd was killed and Dominique Fells was killed as well. There was a lot of grieving, a lot of trauma and a lot of death, Black death, Black queer death, Black trans death. And I was having conversations with my friends because they were like, look, yo, like, you know, I'm not clocking, but I'm clocking. You got to hurry this degree up, (laughs) you know, like I have people (laughs) that I want to refer to you, but I can't because you're not. You're not in the field. You're not working yet. I was like, all right, well, like, hey, you know, like, I'm, I'm, try- I'm working. I, I'm trying to run this business. You know, I'm not an online learner. I don't like doing school online. And they're also then also, I also think my internships. So I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I should do. And then I had a conversation with a few friends, Akeem, Michelle, and Ashley, who are part of Rooted Rooted Healing, it's a wellness studio here in in Albany. They were like, Yo, well, why don't you go into life coaching? And then, in me, I was like, "What? life coach? I'm not doing that." Because you always think about life coaches like they don't do anything, right? Like, they just they, <laughs> you know, they say all this flowery stuff, and they don't really stay. And they charge a thousand dollars to, you know, just to 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 say something that you could have told yourself. I'm like, man, I don't want to do that. And so then I just I started looking further into the profession, and realizing that the field is ungoverned right there's no regulatory body to life coaching so the bad part is you can be as unintentional as possible and still call yourself a life coach but the good thing is you can hold yourself to as many standards as you want and and go into the field that way and i wanted to do that i wanted to be intentional i wanted to bring in my learning with my certifications and try to abide as closely as possible with standards that i personally agree with as a practitioner And so I did it. And then the response was overwhelming. And I always felt this imposter syndrome of like, man, I don't want to do this because I I do believe you don't play therapist. Right. You don't play psychologist. You don't play with somebody's mental health. There are a lot of fields where you can learn on the fly and kind of figure it out as you go. But I don't think this is one of those fields, especially not right now. So I was very hesitant about that because I was like, oh, I don't have the credentials. I don't have the certification. And everybody was talking to me about like, you make the license, the license doesn't make you. And you're not passing yourself off as a social worker, you're a coach. As long as you're forthright and forthcoming with that information, people will gravitate to you. And I was like, all right, I guess. And then lo and behold, I, I, I did all the stuff. I got my certification and the response was overwhelming. And now I'm, I have a, a full client load.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. How did you announce it? How did you put it out there? And did you have packages? Did you just kind of take people on? Tell us. Tell us all about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was actually in August. I got all the things together, and then that was on September 11th. I, I released uh, my first call to say I'm taking on clients. Here's my website. Here's my deck. I'm on therapy for black men because they have a spot for life coaches. I'm on Thumbtack. And here's all these things. Here's where I specialize in, my focus is on critical masculinity. I'm working on black men of all experiences, all those different things to solidify and validate myself to an audience. And yeah, I just received uh, a lot of information. A lot of my friends were excited. They reshared. My friend Jamel took the photos, so that picture of me and that pink polo of my man Jamel, took those photos. He also helped to build my decks also with my, my man Nick. And it was just really cool just to see how it grew organically and folks just wanted to, to you know just to show love and support and knowing that they knew where I was coming from and they knew that I was not trying to move under the pretense of a licensed mental professional, but I have things to offer and I have a skill set and experience to offer and expertise to offer. And if folks are looking for that, I can offer that. So it was really cool just to, first of all, share that imposter syndrome and allow myself to just step into the, step into that fully and knowing that I'm going to be okay.
1: Yeah, definitely. What do you think will be next for you when you do go back and finish getting the social work degree? How do you see that playing into what you're doing?
0: No, I, don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't see much of a difference except the fact that I can, you know, bill insurance at some point. But everything that I'm doing now is what I'll be doing if I got, I have my degree or my licensure. You know, of course, being able to say that I am a licensed social worker and this is therapy and not having to put the caveat on coaching. Or even if I do have that, it doesn't have to be therapeutic. You can still be coaching, but I still want to hopefully have a brick and mortar space. I still want to be able to see folks one-to-one, train folks help ensure that the experiences and the, and the education that they're receiving is decolonized. Still things that I can do from from right here, but just again, knowing what I can do and knowing what I can't do has been the real um, determining factor as to where's my lane and how do I operate effectively in said lane.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'd love if you could share for anyone out there. I feel like there are so many people who have incredible stories or incredible passion or just a huge, massive change that they want to create. And it doesn't have to be global. It can just be in their family or their community or anything like that. But they want to start having conversations and building community and and just really affecting that change. And you have done such a beautiful job of growing your business, your conversation, your following organically. And so I feel like some of the most incredible work out there has been grown organically. And now that you're at the point that you're at, what would you say to anybody who is at that starting point, maybe thinking of starting their first Instagram or website or going to school or whatever it is, what would you, what wisdom or advice would you share with them?
0: Yeah. Just, again, just start, be committed. I hate when people say like, oh, just start, you know, it sounds like a cop out. Right. But I was just talking about this and I, this comes lead to another point. I was just talking about this with my man, Alex, who is also my coach, my executive coach. You know, you have to start, right? Everything that you see right now started out of an idea and that idea materialized in certain ways. Now, of course, certain people, again, not removing privilege and power from this. Like certain folks had more resources, certain folks had a system behind them that allowed them to move to these different plateaus. But just start, right? Like have those conversations. I shared these ideas with folks that are closest to me and they shared with me their feedback and then it grew from there. And also another piece of advice that I would say is that, you know, it takes a long time to become an overnight success that the summertime for better or worse, is when my platform grew. And a lot of folks don't know that I was doing this for three and a half years before June, right? It's only then that a lot of folks popped and a lot of folks received this massive groundswell of, of followers. But a lot of my friends, very few of them started in June. Like a lot of them were working very diligently long before then. And taking various breaks, I've stopped working on my Instagram many times. For months at a time because I just didn't have the energy or I just didn't have the the drive. But always coming back to it, knowing that this is something that I created and it's my brainchild and I'm going to continue to, to pour into it and nurture it and such. And then the next point I was going to make is we all need a support system around us. We all need a team. I have a coach. I have people that I lean on, I people that I run ideas by. I have people that tell me, hey, that, that, that idea kind of sucks, you know? <laughs> and not being afraid to listen to that and knowing that they want this to grow and they want me to succeed. Because I know my first shirts, as compared to this shirt, quality printed shirt, you know, it sucked, you know? <laughs> but just, be, just being okay and being happy and falling in love with, with just just like, I don't want to say the process, I don't want to turn this into like one of those like, l l c Twitter things, but just just enjoying that process and like enjoying like the discouraging times as well as the times that you feel like you absolutely know what you're doing because that moment where you feel like you absolutely know what you're doing is so fulfilling, but it comes along with its fair share of discouraging moments. The biggest thing I could say is just lean into it because i I surely did not see this in 2016. I didn't see any of this. So lean into it, lean into it and just, you know, start, start.
1: And what are some ways, I'm glad that you mentioned support. I was going to ask about that because you've mentioned so many names and you've talked about therapy and having a coach, which, I mean, I'm the same way. I have a ton of support systems in place because we have to continue nurturing ourselves and who we're becoming and our mental health. And What are some other things that you do to really take care of yourself and cultivate more peace and joy in your own life?
0: Boundaries. Boundaries have been the key to maintaining my peace of mind and my joy, knowing that you don't have to be on all the time, knowing that there are things that are not for public consumption, things that are just for you. Whatever that may be, you know, it doesn't have to be something that is live streamed or vlogged or blog, but like allow that thing to be your thing. And if you have multiple things, it's awesome. But allow that thing to be your thing, especially as your platform grows, as your business grows, as you have more demands on your time. You know, you wanna make sure you have at least that one thing that you know is yours, that does not get cut into by your business, by your requests, what have you. Like let that thing be your thing and let that thing continue to pour into you yeah, that's, I think that's the biggest thing, just boundaries, ensuring that you have those things, you have those times where you're not on. And then also reaching out for support, you know, whether it be, it doesn't have to look like therapy. If you want to go to therapy, if you feel the need, I definitely call upon myself. If folks need assistance, finding a, a, a professional, I would love to to help them out in that. But just have that support. Have those people, have those things that you use and you utilize to hold you down because it's There's a lot of moments right now that we feel the weight of the world on our shoulders. And also, we feel like we're moving through the world in the dark. So, allow yourself to have that support system. Allow folks to care for you just as you care for other people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk about your incredible work. But first, one of the questions that I ask towards the end for everybody is if you could go back to younger you, and that might be eighth grade you, that might be 2016 you, what is one piece of advice or nugget of wisdom that you would give yourself?
0: I think I would tell myself, you know, you let me show, let, I will, let, let me show you what's what's waiting on the other side because it's really cool. You know, there's a lot of pressures for you to conform. There's a lot of pressures for you to to not do these things. But listen, hey, keep reading, because bro, when I tell you reading aloud at night. In 10 years, you're going to end up getting interviewed by Essence Magazine. Hey, yo, keep doing this. <laughs> I, would, I would just reaffirm myself. Like, look, like, like, no, like we're, you're on the right path. I can't wait for you to see what's, what's waiting on the other side for you. But just keep on it and just keep that faith in that you are enough, just as you are.
1: Yeah, I love that. And said with your glorious bookcase behind you. <laughs> Well, we're going to link to everything in the show notes, but I would love if you could take some time and just share where people can find you and how they can work with you and how they can learn from you.
0: Absolutely. Uh, you all can follow me on Instagram at Healing Black. You can follow me on Twitter at Healing Black, but just the black is spelled B-L-K on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Clubhouse, uh, Josh Odom, O-D is in dog, A-M is in Mary, uh, Healing While Black there as well. And you can email me, josh at me. Awesome.
1: Josh, thank you so much for being here and for taking the time to share your journey and all the wisdom that has come from it. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. And also just want to make sure this is on the record. Thank you uh, so, so much for having me. Also, Stephanie, you put your money into the initiative for the coaching and we we're able to raise enough money to support 12 Brothers for the next three months with coaching. So I appreciate you so, so much. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today and for being a part of this powerful community of purpose-driven individuals. We have a ton of free resources for you at www.talesfromthejourney.tv free, including access to an eight-week sampler of our renowned journey mapping program. That gives you instant access to impactful training lessons, life-changing exercises, and our signature AccuSesh processes that you can implement immediately. We'd love your help in getting the message out and growing our community. So please take a moment to share this episode, subscribe to the podcast, podcast, podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. I'll catch you in the next episode.